Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 146, where in a moment we're looking into where's the best place for your money. That's in just a sec, as I say, but please bear in mind if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here and you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programs today we feature loads of stuff mortgages investing wills and powers of attorney and heaps more you name it we've done it pretty much and last time we looked at leaving an inheritance find the uk personal finance show with phil anderson on apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there as i say an enormous resource all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. Joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, here we are, 146 episodes into your financial podcast. And we're now asking the fundamental question, where's the best place for your money? Now, it feels like something we might have mentioned before now, and I suppose we have in so much as we've looked at all the aspects individually. But at the same time, why is now an important time to ask that question? Where's the best place for your money? Yeah, probably a good time to sort of revisit this because there's been a lot of changes recently. Inflation is, is still very high. I mean, it's it's been high for, for some time now. Um, interest rates are rising. So that, that's got a big impact on, on things as well. So it, it's, it's probably a good time to consider what's best to make sure that you're getting a good return and, and the best, maximising your, your potential returns on your money. And for, for those with savings in the bank, I mean, it's great for them that interest rates have, have been rising. However, with inflation being so high, in real terms, many people are actually seeing their money depreciate in, in real terms over the, the last wee while. It's interesting. I always think this with um, with petrol as well, when, when the price of a barrel of oil comes down and you're waiting for it to be reflected at the pump. Uh, it's the same sort of story with mortgages. When you're seeing all the rises and you think, well, this has got to pay off in my savings at some point. It doesn't seem to be quite so quick, but we'll maybe get onto that later. In simplistic terms, it breaks into a couple of different areas, really, doesn't it? Saving and investing. We'll look at them individually in a second, but first of all, maybe you could explain the difference between the two. Yeah, there, there is a difference. I mean, saving money, it's its when you're sort of usually gradually putting money aside over time. You might be saving up for something you want to buy or do, so you, you might be saving for, for things such as a holiday, some sort of shopping spree, maybe a deposit on a new home, so that might be money that you, you kind of save up to, to help with your deposit. It, it might even just be that you're, you're saving funds for a rainy day, so you might keep money back to, to save for, like, oh, I don't know, any repairs your car might need or if your boiler breaks down. Most people who save, they usually do so using a bank or building society account, and usually that'll pay interest on, on their savings. Invest in... Investing money, it's more when you're buying things that you believe will increase in value over time. So investing would be in things such as property or shares in a business. And, and the aim there is to make a profit when you come to sell them. But also with, with that type of investments, they can be great because let's say with, with property, you, you've got the benefits of maybe rental income from that property. Or if you own shares in a company, you're going to get paid dividends. So there's differences between savings and, and investments. And so some people see investing as a gamble. However, depending where you're investing in and, and what in, that's going to determine what kind of risk you're taking. And 
and you could make a lot of money if, if things go well, but if it doesn't, you could lose as well. So it's also important if you are investing, never invest more than you can afford to to lose. But we'll touch on that and risk and things as we, we go through the podcast today. Yeah, how risk-averse are you? Should we look at investing first? I mean, what, what factors should you take into account when you're investing them? Yeah, I mean, over, over on the podcast and a lot of previous issue is previous episodes, You'll hear me talk about things like attitude to risk and capacity for loss. And they are such important factors when you're looking at investing. And risk can also be quite a subjective subject. And this is where a financial advisor can can help people. Financial advisors will will look at a lot of different investment funds. And and even there, you've got a lot of what's called research companies that, that they give funds what's called a risk rate. And, and even on there, some funds will rate funds on a scale of 1 to 10, others it might be 1 to 5. So you, you'll look in one firm will say this fund is a risk rate in a 2, but another firm might say it's a risk rate in a 4. So it's it can vary. And, and that kind of probably confuses things for, for a lot of people as well. But because all, all these companies are using sort of different scales when they're, they're assessing risk, but pro- probably an easy way to describe the various levels of risks is I, I often say you've got maybe cautious investors, people who are more balanced or, or people who are speculative. So that, that's maybe just a slightly easier way, but then, then you could also expand on that. So you've got some people, People who are very cautious or very speculative. And, and also you've got some some firms or people out there will use different terms. So some, instead of saying cautious, might use the word conservative. Or instead of speculative, they might say, oh, it's an aggressive investment. So there, there's so many different terms. And I, I, on the podcast, I like to, to kind of try and keep things fairly simple. But a, a cautious or conservative investor, they're, they're looking for an investment where any fluctuation in the value investment would be small. And again, a, a cautious investor, they wouldn't be comfortable if the investments were to rise or fall in value rapidly. So they want things that are going to be more kind of stable and, and steady. Again, depending on your risk tolerance, some folk will accept that there is some risk and things might go down and up a wee bit over time. But when you come to a balanced investor, they, they're kind of looking for a balance between risk and reward. So they, they're seeking higher returns than inflation. And this type of investor, they appreciate the need to invest in different asset classes, different different geographical locations. And that's one way to try and minimise the effects of risk in any one area as well. And then you've got like a, an adventurous or speculative investor. They, they're willing to accept a much higher level of risk and return for kind of higher returns over the, the longer period. And, and with them, they, they kind of, know that the fluctuations, things will go up and down, they're comfortable with that. And, and also, if the value of investments was to go down, somebody who is maybe more adventurous or speculative, they would actually, well, they would see it, one, as a time to ride out the storm, but they would also maybe see that as a time to actually invest more and, and buy more of whatever they're invested in. So that that's probably just a, a rough sort of, degree of the types of investor that, that you've got. And I mentioned about capacity for loss as well. And, and what that is, is whenever you invest, you've also got to accept that there's a risk 
to your capital in any capacity for lost it's based on what you're prepared to lose or in fact what you can afford to lose which again is then based on your personal circumstances but this is where financial advisors can help because they they can sit down with a client that can assess their attitude to risk and they can also discuss how that could impact on potential losses to, to their investment as well and sometimes we're always going about losses but you've got to remember you're looking to get gains over the, the longer term, but so many different factors to, to take into account here. From the way you describe it, Phil, it sounds to me like you would become more adventurous, I think is, is the, the term that you used, the more the money that you have and the the easier it is to sort of, you know, lose a few ball here and there. You're going you're gonna to have more of that capacity for risk yeah. because it doesn't matter quite so much, right? And experience is a great thing as well because if, if you've invested before, you maybe got to be a little bit more comfortable because you know how it sort of works. And and also, I mean, just now we're we're going through a time where stock markets are are quite volatile. So you get some people that are like, oh, I'm not happy with the performance over the last wee while. But what they've got to bear in mind is that that's longer term investing. So yeah, it may be down in the short term, but how is it going to go in the longer term? Mm. And what impacts does, does that have? But it is. It, it's kind of it experience is, is something that's that's important as well. But understanding a, a lot of people, if they're explained properly, all the different options that's out there, as long as they're comfortable in the times when things maybe aren't quite so good, that's everybody wants their investments to perform great and do very well. But it's being willing to accept the risks that that may have as well. That's that's a thing. Absolutely. So what what sort of returns are you getting on cash investments just now then? Yeah, I mean, ca- cash investment investments have been going up as of today. So we're, we're recording this in the middle of July. But at, at the moment, Yorkshire Building Society, they, they've currently got an instant access internet account, currently paying 4.25%. If you are willing to put your cash into something for a fixed period of time. Aldermore, they, they're a bank. They, they've currently got a one-year bond paying 5.79%. So th- there's no doubt that over the course of this year, because interest rates have been rising, we are seeing that gradually being passed on to, to savers as well. But what you find is the Bank of England rate may go up, but a lot of the banks and building societies don't often pass on the full effects of that to their <laughs> savings customers, which um, maybe I'm just a bit cynical in my old age. But that's exactly it's what kinda, I pointed out at the beginning I, of the show. <laughs> I know. And, and, and one thing that's also unusual at the moment as well is a, a lot of the banks and building societies, they'll do like fixed term deposits or fixed rate bonds, they, they're often called. And with, with these, now normally the longer that you leave your money, the higher the return. But unusually at the moment, if you were looking at a five-year fixed rate term deposit, they're actually paying less than, say, the, the one and two-year rates just now. So that's probably an indication that the financial institutions think, yeah, rates may go up. I mean, they, they think the Bank of England base rate may go up again, but in the longer term, mm. that's probably an indication that the lending, that they but the financial institutions think that rates at some point will probably start to to come down. And I guess one of the things that they're doing to try and control inflation is put interest rates up, which is good on your savings. But I guess the downside then is that if you're investing money in companies, they they prefer, they tend to do better when interest rates are lower because they can borrow money. So for, for every positive, there's often a negative sort of that goes along with it as well. 
Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you that how how inflation sort of impacts your savings and investments. So, roughly speaking, it sounds like maybe for your savings it's it's quite a good thing, but for your investments, not so much potentially. No, I mean I, I would say I mean in, inflation affects things. It has a huge impact. Probably has bigger impact on people who have just got savings accounts, John. Because if you've got, I mean, for for example, inflation recently had been up at about ten percent. Now, if you've got your money in the bank and you're getting a return of say five percent, in real terms, you're actually losing there. Mm. Whereas if you've got money invested, depending where it is, I mean, over a longer term, investments should outperform cash over a, a longer period of term. So, I, I would definitely say that. Inflation isn't a good thing for people who are investing in cash or savings accounts. I mean, some some people try to say that investing in cash is no risk. However, with cash-based deposits, you've got inflation risk. And I think, I, I don't know, the current rate of inflation, it was still up over 8% the last time I looked. But if it's running at about 8 to 10% and you're only getting 4 or 5% on your cash-based savings, then in real terms, you're actually losing money. Mm. Let's look at savings briefly now. Then, why is it important to save, Phil? Yeah, it's good. It, it's good to have some money accessible for for short term needs. And I mentioned earlier, some people will maybe save up for holidays. They'll worry that if anything happened to their car, they've got money for repairs to to it. And I always recommend to people that they want to have an emergency fund because you just never know what's around the the corner. So that's that's one important reason to save. As a general rule money that might be needed in the immediate future, it should always really be in, in more lower risk environments. So if you needed to call on that money and needed it accessible, you're not going to be stung by, for example, if you were in a stock market investment, if that drops and you want to take it out, that's when you're going to lose. Or if you buy property, that's quite an illiquid asset. So you might not be able to release that funds quickly. So I tend to say that in general, money that's like emergency funds, you want to have that in lower risk. So that's maybe where your deposit accounts kind of come in there. If you're investing into longer term investments, then that can often justify a higher level of risk. And another thing I was going to mention as well, the time, what you're invest, what the purpose of what you're investing for is another thing. So if you're a young person paying into a pension, it's going to be years and years that that money is invested. So you can afford to take higher risks with that than you can if it was money that maybe if you're a few years from retiring, you're maybe not going to be in a position where you think, right, I don't want things to be more volatile at that stage. So the timing is an important thing as well. It's amazing how much more you think about your pension the closer you get to it, isn't it? Mm. Um, other than, than than cash then, you were talking about is it asset classes. I always pick up little nuggets of what you're saying and think, oh yeah, that's that's what you're referring to. What other options do you have for your, for your savings? Investments, I, I, I we'll get on to, but yeah. when it comes to savings. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned sort of term deposits there. So you get like fixed terms. So some institutions will do maybe a fixed rate for one year, two years, three, four, five. It, it can vary. You, you've also got I mean, savings accounts. So you've got instant access savings accounts out there, 30-day notice accounts. Another good place for cash is, is cash ISAs. You don't pay any tax on any gains that you make in a cash ISA. And again, the rates on them have been, been going up over the, the last wee while. You, you get cash ISAs that are instant access. You get ones that might be for 
notice accounts, 30 days, 90 days notice, ones for like fixed term a year. So cash cash ISAs are a good place to have money. And also another benefit of them these days is that you can have money in a cash ISA initially. And once you build up a certain amount, you can look at transferring that to stocks and shares ISAs. So there's a lot more flexibility around all those sort of things as well. You, you get investment ISAs um, and stocks and shares investments. However, I would see them as more longer term investments. Other places in the short term, you've got things like premium bonds. We've mentioned that on shows before. The only downside with that is your capital is secure, but the the, the the returns are not. So the way with premium bonds, the way that they work is you, your money is held in deposit and they've got a prize fund. You may win a prize, you may not. So with that, all you might get back is just your your capital. So again, inflation would if you didn't win any prizes, inflation's eating into the the real value of whatever you put in there as well. Now you mentioned about saving and investing. Is there anything though that you have to put in front of that? I mean, I know a lot of people sit there and say, "God, I wish I had some money to to put aside each month," or "I wish I had some money to invest in in whatever." But what are the things that you should consider before you start saving or investing, Phil? Yeah, I, I would say one big thing to consider is if you've got any debts, you you want to kind of maybe look at paying them off first. So, for example, if if you've got a balance outstanding on a credit card, I mean, the interest rates on them can be 20%, 30%. So if you had, say, several thousand pounds outstanding on a credit card, it wouldn't really make sense saving if you're only getting a return of, say, 5% when you're paying more than that on the actual interest of, of a debt. So looking at clearing debts is, is worth considering. It's also good to have an emergency fund before you look at longer term investing as well. Because like I say, you just never know what's what's around the, the corner. Investors, they, they should also consider their feelings about capital loss over the long and short term. And investment decisions, they're, they're often unduly swayed by short-term sentiment. So, for example, if stock markets are soaring, I mean, at the moment, things have been a bit more volatile, but let's say in a period where stock markets are, are racing ahead and doing really well, a lot of the times there, the prospect of capital loss can often be overlooked. So, I mean, just now we're kind of speaking about things the way they are at the moment, but that, that's an important sort of thing to, to take into account as well. And and you've also got the ability to feel comfortable with, with market swings as well. That's also very important when you're making investment decisions as well. So, like I say, a lot of plenty of factors to that come into play. Absolutely. Just coming back to the idea of the emergency fund for a second, when we've spoken about emergency funds before, and I think I'm right in saying this, we, we landed on a figure that we thought was enough to pay our bills for about three months. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it, it's good to have money there the average that people have is really low so something is better than than nothing but i I think if you aim to have say a few months salary so that if you were off work incapacitated at least you've got some savings there a lot of people will also look at things like income protection policies if they don't have good sick pay from their employer they might think Mm. right i want a policy that pays my income if I'm ever off work for for a period. But I I would say just initially, if you could get a figure of a few months kind of wages in the bank to to keep you going. But ideally, if you could have more than that, even it's good to have a pot there just in case any emergencies come up. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I hope it's uh, doable and not just a wish list thing for you. Uh, how do you decide which to go for? When we're talking savings and investments, I mean, potentially there's an element of risk involved, obviously, but, but does it depend on what you're looking to achieve as well? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot depends on a person's short, medium and long-term goals. And that's got to really influence where the best place is for their, their money. And risk is closely linked with the potential for reward as well. Investors in things like shares, they can usually expect a better return on their money than you would get by simply depositing funds in a savings or deposit account over the longer term. But they've got higher risk of capital loss over the short term. And, and with low risk accounts, you should accept that a lower return in exchange for the, the lower risk involved as well. If you take a risk, however small, you may, be, may expect something in return. The more uncertain an investment is, the greater the potential return you might expect in compensation from that, although there's no guarantee of any increased return at all. So that's that's important to, to kind of note as well. So I'm guessing that the, the sort of sweet spot or the honeypot for you as an individual is how much you're able to lose uh, comfortably, let's say, you know, where it's not going to damage your, your month to month. And then where you want to put that in terms of how risky it is putting it into to, to that particular investment. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were saving up, let's say a deposit for, for buying a home, if you go and put that into something that's risky, yeah, great. It might do really well. And in which case you're, you're really happy. But with, with that sort of thing, if it doesn't do so well, the, the downside is that then you may not be able to buy a property for longer because you, yeah. when you maybe want to buy, if that investment's down. But one good thing we invest in regularly, though, is you've got something called pound cost averaging. So if you were going into, say, a stock market type investment, if if you are paying in each month, some months you'll be buying in when fun, because of the volatility and things going up and down. Sometimes you'll be buying in when things are up, sometimes down, and they call that pound cost averaging. So that can take out a bit of risk if you're paying in every month into something as well. And I've even seen people do that with lump sum investments. They'll say, right, I don't want to put all my money in at one point. So I've got, let's say, 30 grand to invest. I'll put 10 grand in this month, 10 grand in in six months' time, and 10 grand in in a year's time. So they, Or they may even just say, right, I'll do this this month, next month, the month after. And that's what's called pound cost averaging. So that's a way of trying to reduce risks as well. Okay. Sometimes it can work for you. Sometimes it, it can go against you, though. Let's look into into further types of investing. Then, what what other things can you look at in those terms, Phil? Yeah, I mean, the, you mentioned about the main asset classes that people can invest in. So, the, you've got stocks and shares. That would be be one. You, you've got bonds, which also includes things like government gilts. Bonds tend to be seen as a safer haven for, for investors, although some of your corporate bond funds and, and gilts over the last year haven't done so well, although they're starting to, to kind of do a bit better again the last wee while. Other areas you can invest in, you've got property, but that can encompass a lot of different sort of things. And then you, you've also got cash as well. So they would be the four main areas for, for people to invest in. You do have other things that, that folk can look at as well, but they, they would be the main sort of areas that I would normally be be speaking to people about. Yeah, we've spoken in the past about all of those. There are other, what would maybe previously have been considered alternative investments, which are coming more into the mainstream all the time. And we've done shows about some of these. Um, maybe recap and sort of take us through some of those for us, Phil. 
Yeah, I mean, the way I mentioned about property there, so there's a number of ways you can invest in property. You've got different types of property as well. So you've got residential property, so buying houses for people to stay in. You've also got commercial property. And even commercial property, that can be offices, warehouses, industrial units, shopping centres. You've got so much different types of property that people can can invest in. So you, you can invest in property directly or you can invest in property funds. Now, property funds, they tend to be more for commercial property. So financial advisors will often recommend some commercial property funds because they can be a diversification away from the stock market. Some investments will be quite closely linked. And if one goes up, the other one will go up. But there's no correlation between, say, property funds and equity investments. Sometimes just by chance, they maybe go up or down at the same time. But that depends on the the circumstances. But these days, I'm finding a lot of people who have businesses helping people invest in property. So, So when I go on LinkedIn, a lot of folks saying, look, come to me, I'll invest your money into property, you'll get great returns. The, the one thing that I would say to be aware of if you're looking at things like that is that that sort of investment's not regulated. And it's also important to weigh up the risks as well, because I've seen some people claim and say, right, I'll give you a fixed return of 8% or 10% a year on your money. But really, is the risks being explained to people? That's one of the key things with that sort of thing. Residential property, it's its always very popular with investors. And, and I've invested in, in that myself in, in the past and done very well from it. One thing with, with residential property now is you've also to look at any tax implications. Um, you've got things like, I know in Scotland, you've got additional, it's called land and buildings transaction tax. So if you're buying investment properties, you may have that. There's different tax on, on rental incomes and, and things now. So it's important to weigh up all that kind of things if you're investing in property as well. Considering other alternative investments. I mean, we, we've done a couple of podcasts on different things. We did one on investing in whiskey. We also did one investing in art. So they, they were things that were a wee bit different as well. Other areas I've seen people investing over the years, commodities at times have, have done very well. I mean, think a lot of people actually think, oh, I want to, when times are more volatile, they'll think, right, I want to invest in maybe gold because that can do well. But some people see that as a safe haven. However, the price of gold can be very volatile as well. So whatever you're choosing to invest in, you've got to do your due diligence and you've also got to weigh up the, the pros and cons and risks of it as well. And that, that's where a financial advisor can help because they can help you weigh up all of that sort of things. And I suppose where a financial advisor is good is that they're taking away some of that pain of you doing the research into various things as well. Mm, absolutely. When it comes to investing in any of these areas, whether it's stocks and shares, bonds, property, anything else, I am always one of those reticent people, more concerned with what I could lose rather than what I might make. I don't know if that comes with age or having dependence, but it's it certainly increased to me with both those things. And what that means for me is I want an expert to take me through anything I'm considering. And I'm not alone. Can I just get in touch with a financial advisor and ask him to wait up for me just you know, out the blue, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say speaking to a financial advisor is a great place to start because for, what they can do as well, they can actually assess your attitude to risk and they can look at your personal circumstances to see what's most suitable for you. So they, they're not going to put you in anything that you're not comfortable with. That's that's the key thing. There's a lot of people out there that all claim, oh, we can 
help get you great returns, but often the risks are not explained properly. But that's where financial advisors, I mean, they can help you invest in all the, the main asset classes, whether that's cash, bonds, equities, property. They, they can cover all of that area. So that's that's another advantage as well. But like I say, probably the, the main benefit is they, they can also look at your personal circumstances to, to make a recommendation to you, but they, they've got access to so many different things and they take away a lot of the pain of having to investigate things and, and do it yourself as well. I suppose another thing is, you know, your capacity for risk, you, you might think it's it's bigger than it actually is and you need someone to reel you in and say, actually, John, you know, sit down, I've got some bad news for you. You don't have that ability to spend that much. You need to think more along these lines. That's the sort of thing that financial advisor will give you as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it, and it is, it's kind of, you, you look at things and there, there's so many different options out there. So it, it, sometimes it's trying to keep things simple. But you, you'll get some folk that want to know all the ins and outs of, of everything. And, and like I said earlier, everybody wants great returns, but not everybody is willing to accept the risks to get that. that that's the thing. And also I mentioned about inflation eroding your, your savings. So that's another reason why it's great to to take financial advice and, and look at things properly. Okay. In short, though, I mean, where's the best place for your money isn't a simple save or invest answer because it's a question that depends entirely as much on your circumstances and goals as much as anything else, isn't it? It definitely is. And, and I've actually had a few people recently come up to me and ask that particular question. That's why I thought, right, we'll do a, a podcast on it. I had somebody, I think, at the weekend there just say, oh, where's the best place to, to put my money just now? And it, it's, again, that nobody knows what is going to be the best place in the next year, the next three years, five years, 10 years. And I think that's a great reason why it's good to diversify because whatever asset class does best this year, the chances are that'll probably be one of the poorer ones next year. And and what financial advisors will often do is they'll say, right, let's look at investing in a lot of different asset classes and spread the, that kind of risk as well. You, you'll get some people that are more speculative and say, right, this area did really poorly last year, so I see that as an opportunity. I'm going to go into that now. But again, the following year, that might not do so well again. So it's if we knew the answer to that, Oh, Craig, you would be, be minted. <laughs> now comes the part of the show where Phil looks back over the course of his own life, both professionally and personally, to find an example of how today's topic has affected his own situation. So, Phil, today we're looking at where is the best place for your money. What have you got in that? Yeah, I mean, like, like just now, for, for myself, I mean, I've, I've just lent money to, to one of my kids so he can buy a property. I got a really good deal on it. Looked at, it was valued at 90,000. We got it for 60, which is quite incredible. Yeah. But then the true value is what somebody is actually willing to pay for it. And and with that, like he's not paying me any interest on that for so that that's probably a poor investment because <laughs> I could have put it somewhere and got a return yeah. on it. But I, I just was keen to, to help him out and I thought, right, I'll get my money back at some point from him in the future. I wasn't looking for a return on, on that money. If I just get my money back, that'll be be happy with, with that one. But I was really keen to, to help him out. So that was something that I was doing just recently. But with his property as well, although we got it for a great price, it does need a bit of work done to it. So there's got to be 
uh, some work on the roof, some slates and things need fixed there, needs redecorated, the shower wasn't working, so we'll need to get that fixed. So somebody might have seen that as a really good investment, but by the time you go and do all these things, that's eating into your kind of profit if you were to, to sell it. But the plan is for him to stay in it long term. So that that wasn't a... Some people will buy property as a short speculative thing. And again, they could do really well off of it, but it's all weighing up that risk versus reward, is it? That's that's a thing. But I, I know for me, I've got my, my pension invested and I, I, I'm 46. So I've still got quite a number of years until I look at drawing my pension. So I, I've, I'm quite... I would say a high risk investor for for that type of investment, but like we've discussed, it all depends on what that money's for, what the goals are, long term, short term, what your personal circumstances are. And I know with my pension, that money's there for for a number of years. Whereas if somebody was approaching retirement, they might think, "Well, then I want the same risk as as that." So that's just a bit about myself at the current uh, time. Absolutely, and time for quote of the week. Phil has always been a fan of quotes, uh, for as long as I've known him. What do you have on our topic for this week? Where's the best place for your money? In investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. That's a quote quote from someone called Robert Arnett. Well, there you go. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if that's how you prefer things. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up. I'll give it to you after these. This first one is from Irene who says, Hi, Phil. I've heard you doing shows on or around the subject of wills quite recently. My family has just entered a situation where my uncle died without a will in place and no children or partner to leave anything to in terms of inheritance. In that instance, what are some of the things which could happen to his estate? Yeah, if, if you die without a will, they, they call it that you've died intestate. So that's the, the kind of legal term. What I would say with this is it depends where about in the UK he was, because the legal system is different in Scotland from, say, England and Wales. So that, that would have a bearing. But if, if someone dies intestate, what then happens is that the Depending on the law of where you are, that determines what will happen. If he's if his parents were still alive, they'd be entitled to a share of this the estate if if they were still alive. But if they weren't alive, it then kind of goes down almost starting off with your your kind of closest relatives. But it could be that there comes a point where if there was no parents, no grandparents, then it would cascade down. So it might then go to like aunts, uncles. And it'll, it'll kind of cascade down, but it all depends on where where you're based. This is pretty much part of the answer there. Okay. And again, it's one of those where if you want to sort it out, you seek professional help, one would assume. Yeah. It, it, but what then happens if, if someone dies without a will, that, that's when you've got to apply. I think it's the courts that usually sort of sort things out to, um, at, at that point. And, and, but they would have a look at all the, the kind of ins and outs there probably worth speaking to a solicitor as well um even saying to them look how how does this work how long is it going to take that, that's one of the things if someone dies without a will everyone's going to take a lot more time mm. to sort out because you you've got to get probate sort of granted so that's <laughs> yeah. it's, take a it's a fun game that one I tell as you. well yeah. Next up, here's one from Barry Imbrora who asks, Hi, Phil. I've been offered redundancy at my work and I'm thinking about taking it. It's quite a stressful time, which nobody ever seems to mention. And I don't want to appear stupid, but how do you know if the amount you're being offered is fair? And is there a standard waiting period for this? Because nobody seems to be making it clear to me. 
You get a lot of information, the, the government website, so gov.uk, there's quite a good section on there, redundancy, your rights. So on, on there, it'll go on about like statutory redundancy pay, notice periods, that sort of thing, consultations. So I'll mention a lot there. Another good place to, to probably look as well is the, the Citizens Advice Bureau. They, they're really good. They, they would have a lot of information for you. I think they've maybe even got a calculator to work out how much pay you, you would get as well. Sometimes you, you can get like payment in lieu of notice. That's something that, that can sometimes be done. But a lot will depend. The the notice that you get all depends on how long you've you've worked with, with a particular company and the amount that you get is all based on on that as well. So I'd probably say maybe speaking to somewhere like the citizens advice might be a good starting place for for Barry there. Okay. Would you say as well before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because We've covered a lot of topics now, and we may well have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 146 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's how you prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. Please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. They can get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time, and thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.